you know you, you cook for all these people i can barely cook for six people in my house you cook for 40 50 60 people i do it by faith i trust god to to tell my mind how to do things so that they're done well he'll he'll invade any area of your life that you allow him to if you do it by faith you have to have god's employment in everything that you do or it will fail miserably see i'm not i'm not trying to win anybody's approval in what i do but god's this is where people get off wrong i'll see sometimes uh uh you know women will say well well show me how to cook show me how to do this i'll show them and they never do it again well, why did i show it to you you got me and it's because people will grab onto things to taste of them because they see you do it or they see you enjoy it or they it looks good to them or they want to get that attention that you get why well, you get all the attention all the time you're grabbing onto the wrong thing and see when that feeling leaves you of wanting the attention for doing something you won't <laughs> you have to do things from the heart you can't do them from a a negative emotional vein you know just some little momentary jealous feeling that grabs you i want that thing and we have to be careful with our our everyday desires that's why god makes us uh, use our faith because it has to be developed in the secret place where the the desires of your heart reside where god speaks to you through his word not through keeping up with the joneses you know, just because the Joneses have it, I gotta have it, and I'm gonna use my faith to get it. Well, you're not gonna get God involved in covetousness. You know, He's not gonna get involved in that nonsense. But He will give you your inheritance, and you find what's yours through the Word. And as long as you have the Word of God ministering to your heart, the right thing for you will be revealed in there, and you can pursue that thing by faith. So faith will carry you through all of these situations and you'll be able to do them well. Even when you fail or you miss it, your faith won't fail. It's true. You can make a mistake. You can veer off the track and miss what God has for you or you can get scared about something and jump in the natural and and make a mistake. But that faith that could have gotten you through it, okay, is still there. It's not going to fail you. Your faith never fails. See, this is why justified people live by faith, because they have confidence in it. You know, if it's God's word, it's going to be there. God's going to do this for me because I'm believing his word, and I'm, I'm obeying him and standing on his word. And that's the only reason it will work. That's why it's good to not be an I person. You know what I mean? It's just eye candy type person. Things you see you want. Things you see you got to have. The, uh, because the things that God has for you are revealed. They're not sight things. They're spiritual things that come through revelation. So your faith will never fail. It is made and designed to carry you through and it's an overcoming now what does that mean overcome 
That means it's got to hit something that doesn't want it to manifest. See, this is where the problem is for Christians because somehow we were all bold and stuff out in the world and now we ain't got in Christ and we scary. God tells us to be circumspect, not scary. You know, circumspect means that you observe your surroundings. You you don't proceed presumptuously, but you get his assurance about things before you move out into them. But that's different than being scary. Scary people don't move out. Circumspect people do. Huh? It's like you know when you you know some of the the police shows you see that you know when they go in to to uh, arrest somebody many times that arrest scene has been observed for months before they that's circumspection you surround you look or that means to look around look around with the attitude of completing what you having your heart to complete not with the attitude I'm going to run because it's too hard for me to do see so the circumspect person will observe and understand all the concerns the considerations but proceed anyway you got me it's like the 10 spies <laughs> that got scared and said we can't do it versus the 2 that had faith when 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 they began God told them what the land held for them and when they got there they looked and they saw exactly what God told them but then 10 of them saw something else they saw what they thought from the beginning they never accepted God's word about it now hear me when I tell you this and write this down. If you will accept God's word about something before you go in, you will observe what God told you was there. But if you're fearful, you're going to see, you're going to put those glasses on and see what fear tells you is there. And many times we waste a lot of valuable time with wrong observations. God will never put fear in your heart for proceeding under his direction. He'll never do that to you. So 1 John 5.4 says the victory that overcomes is our faith. First John 5. Verse 1 it says, Whosoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. And everyone that loves him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. So everybody that loves the Father loves the Son. By this we know that we love, we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not hard to do. You don't resent obeying God. His commandments are not grievous. Like live by faith. That's not hard. Like flee fornication. That's not hard. 
like shun the very appearance of evil. That's not hard. If you're born again, these things aren't hard to you. You don't have to pray about these things. You don't have to struggle with these things. You just do them. Why? Because you're born of God. You're not carnal. He says, for whatsoever is born of God or whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. So how do you prove that you're born again? You don't do the stupid stuff you used to do. You've overcome that. You don't have a taste for it anymore. It's not hard for you. You know, I see these people who just have not made a decision to obey God. They're whiners. Been born again 25 years and still whining and complaining. When you should have done that when you first got saved. You got me? You take care of those things when you first meet the Lord. So you don't get stupid when you're 25 years serving God and lose your whole ministry because you went back to fornicating again. You know, is that stupid or what? And it's because they never understood that you turn your back on it once and for all. Period. You never go back. When thoughts come to you, you fight them. You do the same fight at at year 25 that you did at year one when you're really hot to please God. Remember those days? First got saved, you understood what Jesus had saved you from, and you did everything you could to please him and not go back to your old ways again. And you do that every year, every day of every year. He says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So you have to use your faith to overcome everything. See, this is the victory that overcomes the world, is your faith. How do you use your faith? You use it first with your mouth. Yeah, I hear Christians say things, say things with their mouth that puts them in a trap. You know, the the young person, single person, I, I want somebody, I'm tired of being alone. You've already ensnared yourself with your own mouth. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. Huh? All that we got living on the inside of us and you confess to being lonely and alone, you're an idiot. Huh? You're crazy. And what we do is we cling to these worldly Lust ideas and pursuits instead of using our faith to overcome with our confession. I'm not lonely, devil. I am not alone. I am not craving flesh that I shouldn't be around in Jesus' name. And let it go and move on. You don't have to pray for 15 years that you don't try to sleep with somebody you're not married to. Don't be an idiot. Understand who you are. But yet you want to move mountains and pay your bills on time. You can't even make your flesh quit being stupid. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. You're an overcomer. You're not some weak little idiot that's, you know, looking for something to cozy up to. Be stupid. And who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you believe that, you can believe everything else. Quit letting the devil dope you up. If you believe on, on the Son of God, you got a witness on the inside of yourself. Verse 10 says, you got the witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of yourself to tell you right from wrong. 
You know the right way to go, you go to know the wrong way to go. And this invades every area of your life. There's a right way and a wrong way to go. Period. There's a way of the flesh and there's a way of the spirit. And you always want to choose the way of the spirit. So in Luke 17, there's instructions here for increasing your faith. There's always instruction in God. When we exercise our faith, it always increases. The difference between Mr. Say You Everyday Christian Guy and Mr. Universe or, you know, WWF type person is faith. The first time they lifted a weight, they believed that they would develop into what they eventually developed into. And us, if it don't happen, if we ain't ripped in like two minutes, then we won't quit. This ain't working. This ain't, I don't know what's wrong with this. I'm just different. My bones is different. You know, there ain't nothing different about you except you don't believe. Huh? <laughs> Some of those people, you know, they, they get a, a their business, you know, their personal trainer just from people coming up to them in the gym asking them how they, you know. I mean, that's just how craving people are for certain things in the world. So we, we have to understand that there is a faith principle here, that the exercise of your faith increases it. That's why the devil wants you to feel lonely. That's why he wants you to feel like you've got to have companionship and company and all this kind of stuff because he knows that if you begin to exercise your faith it'll get stronger but if he can keep you whining and begging and crying and being stupid then you'll never get strong you always be weak Period. Now, God will help you as a new Christian. You know, you can get delivered from so many things. I can remember just not even praying for stuff and it left me. You got me? Why? Because my heart was given over to God and I craved to please him. And in order to please him, I had to have certain things released from my soul. And so those things will leave you just from having a heart pure toward God. Why is it that the believer, when they grow a certain amount, has to struggle? You got me? Huh? It's because we quit using our faith to accomplish what we need to accomplish. We quit using it. And we put it away and we don't want to use it. And then if somebody would come up to us and remind us of our faith, we mad at them. Huh? You know, you want to fight somebody because you don't know my situation. You need mine different than yours. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about God's word that works for everybody. If you use it. So in Luke 17. Jesus here is talking about forgiveness. (laughs) And then the disciples want to change the subject in verse 4. Huh? Wasn't that right? He's getting you to understand your foundation. And you want to get off into something more interesting, more exotic. But he gets them anyway. 
the apostles in verse 5 said unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say to this tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. <clears throat> he said, that's mustard seed level faith operation. It's interesting. But then he went on to talk about great faith and little faith and their increments of faith. So, my goodness, if mustard seed can do that, whew, what can great do? <laughs> huh? He said, but which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he's come in, go and do this and do that, so shall it be done. Okay, so... Um, He's rebuking them and calling them unprofitable servants because they change the subject on him. So let me find this other one that I really want for increasing our faith. Hang on a second. I'll find it. I know I'll find it. What is that? Turn that off, whatever it is. I think this is the scripture. All right. So what he's saying here is that faith increases by use. That's what you need to understand here. He says, if you have faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you will use it with your mouth. That is the first place your faith must be expressed. It has to be spoken. The Bible says we believe and therefore we speak. You must speak what you believe. That's how God created the universe. He said, let there be and it happened. And so this is how we use our faith. This is how your faith is exercised by the confessing of it. That's the first step. What do you do when you confess the word? Well, you make declaration. Number one, you begin to overcome whatever it is that doesn't line up with the word, with the word of God. So you begin to wage warfare against natural circumstances that are contrary to God's word. You notice I didn't say contrary to what you want. Because a few minutes of confronting it and it don't move and you don't want it no more. You got me? So your wants are subject to change, but God's don't. So you confront things based on the fact that they do not line up with God's word. You confront them. You don't try to compromise them and make them God's will or make them okay with God. Hmm? There's no faith there. All you're doing is saying yes and amen to the status quo or to the devil that's got you ensnared is usually what it is. So he says, if you have a little bit of faith, the smallest amount that you, that you have, you will use it to speak against that which does not line up with what you believe in your heart that corresponds to the word of God. Wow. You must believe it in your heart. You can't grab it out of thin air or grab it at the last minute and try to use it. 
You got me? That weapons of warfare, spiritual weapons don't operate like that. They operate from the heart. They don't operate from the flesh. So you can't grab what, say, what your neighbor would do and use that because it worked for them and you're just trying it out. Uh, you have to have the word engrafted in your heart. You have to care enough about these things to spend time meditating on the word and get the word inside of you. So then what's in you comes out of you at the appropriate time. The Holy Spirit will call it up for you. Uh, it's just like marshalling all your little forces that you need to fight your warfare. You take that weapon and you'll speak to that thing and you'll tell it to move. Well, Pastor Barb, suppose it don't move the first time. Well, it seldom does. What does it say here? It says you're confronting a tree that's rooted and grown with a seed. Huh? Wrap your brain around that. Huh? So you're trying to outgrow and, and overthrow something that's already rooted and grounded with something that's just getting planted. That's why I don't move. So Jesus is saying, if you continue to do it, it'll move. That's the only way it's going to happen is if you continue to do it. Just like uh, the P90X guy. Uh huh? Oh, I'm ripped in 90 days. Well, you're going to kill yourself in them 90 days, but you can look like him in 90 days. But nobody ever tells you overnight results with the overcoming method. Huh? So you're going to have to speak to that thing over and over. Isn't that all of our experience with the word? This is how you develop your personal faith in something. You are going to have to prove to God that you believe it, that you're firm in it, that you're consistent with it, and that you're going to stick with it even when it looks like it's not going to do anything. That's your personal faith development. Because I can hear some of y'all now. Well, sometimes you can get an instant miracle, but honey, you do it and you won't get it on this method. Now let's talk about that. You know, since everybody's trying to figure out a loophole out of this system. You know, people, what about when they come to the altar and and they walk, you know, put the crutch down and walk and they're healed and all that kind of stuff. Well, what about that? Anybody got a real intelligent answer? Didn't think so. It's a different anointing. a different anointing we're talking about at the altar the gift of miracles and the gifts of healing different anointing we're talking about developing your personal faith if God let everything you say immediately come to pass your children would be idiots your husband would be a monster for real he only a baby monster now but he'd be a big one by the time you got finished embellishing So that's why God turns the temperature down on your faith. Kind of like your little, your little, uh, your little so-called ripped 
biceps when you first get started. You know, they go up, they come down. They go up, they come down. Huh? You know, the rip guy, if he bends his wrist, they boom. Huh? But, you know, if you just start, you got to pump it and make it as big as it can get. You got me? Big difference. People who exercise their faith muscles a lot are ripped. Hello? The ones who are still trying to see if it works or not are whining somewhere. <laughs> this machine's too hard. I got to soak when I get home because I... Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Thought you was going to be the P90X body. Huh? We all start out with these great. But see, God wants you to commit. He wants you to settle in. He wants you to be there, do or die. He wants you to have the same attitude Jesus has about this. Huh? I'm going to, this is the only way. I'm going to obey the Father, and I'm going to do this, this way. And this is the only way I'm going to live my life, is this life of faith. If I have to continue to confront this for 20 years, I'm going to confront it because I'm committed to this way of living. It's a way of life, folks. It's not something you try to see if God works or not. huh? It's not something you try like that. It's something you must commit to. Isn't it amazing that when it doesn't bother you to do it anymore, that's when it starts working? See, there's something in the attitude of your heart that will pull away from the strength of your faith if it's not right. You prove that to yourself. Because you'll say stuff, well, I don't know if this confessing the word, I, I want to be healed. And I, I know God will heal me, but this I've been doing confessing the word for this. And I've been listening to the word for that. And I've been doing this and this. And then one day, you quit your complaining. It just dawns on you how stupid you sound to yourself or your your mind gets tired of hearing it. You ever quit complaining because you're just sick of complaining? I've been there. Your mind gets sick of hearing your crabby mouth. You, you know, you can wear your carnal mind, your carnal soul out getting stupid. And one day you just quit saying it and all of a sudden it seems to be kicking in. Now what happened? That's no accident. There's a dynamic that goes on there. Because your carnal soul has been robbing your spirit man of the faith that it needs to. That's why people tell you if you want something from God, don't you say anything against it. You zip your lip. You know, if you're married, you husband and wife, you make up your mind. We don't say anything negative about this anymore. Because we're going to get our victory here. We're not going to whine about the doctor's report. We're not going to whine about the finance report. We're not going to talk anything against this. We're locked into it so we can get our victory. So we're not stupid. We know how to do this when it really matters. Well, it really matters all the time. There aren't any big things and little things to reserve your faith for. It matters all the time. There's some things God is, is preparing your faith for future needs. That's why these things aren't moving so fast. He's pre- and you want it over with. So, oh, I just, oh I'm, I'll be so glad when this. Oh, why? So you can go back to being carnal again. 
I can talk raggedy, act raggedy, live raggedy. Instead of living like a child of God every day. So he says, if you use your faith, little faith, to hit this big thing. If you use your little muscle huh, on the, on the machine and you say you put 80 pounds on there. And it's hard because you're just getting started. But if you keep doing it, pretty soon 80 is easy and you can move it up to 90. Then you can move it up. It's the same principle. Same principle. You're hitting little faith. You're hitting big, big tree with little faith. But you're planting it as a seed. That word seed there is very important. That's the key. Because he's saying you're planting your faith in a place where it will grow to the point where it will eventually outgrow whatever it is that's hurting your life. It's a principle there. So he says, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you treat it like a seed. And no seed will grow if it's not planted. you got to get it out of outside of your heart into the atmosphere where it can grow and it can confront something. And you can send it against anything that's out there against you. You can send it against anything. And quit your whining. Quit talking about how much you need something. And don't let the devil know your needs. Man, if you got any, keep it between you and God. Don't be broadcasting it everywhere. And don't put it on Facebook. Jeez. Why is your faith fail-proof? Look in Luke 22. Verse 32. 31. The Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. But, you know, he'll get you through your confession through your belief system, through believing lack and acting on it. Mm -hmm. If you believe something's missing from your life and you start gearing your life around that, he'll have you. He said, Satan is desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You know what that means? Strip you of everything. Huh? You know how it is they toss the wheat up in that winnowing fan. It's got holes in it, small holes. First the shaft comes out. That's your paycheck. He blows that away. Shakes you up again. Little Another little layer comes. That's your house. Shakes you up again. Your car. Shakes you up again. Your Your spouse. Your kids. He says, but... says I prayed for you and if you use your faith it won't fail but if you keep on the road you are you'll get sifted it's exactly what he's saying he says I prayed for you that your faith will not fail now why would you want to not live by faith and disappoint Jesus every day he's praying for you and you're doing nothing he's praying for you and you're whining He's praying for you and you're talking about what you don't have. He's praying for you that your faith would not fail. 
He says, and when you are converted. Oh, you mean I'm not a convert? Mm-mm, not if you're acting like that, you're not. See, you can be converted on some principles and then lack on other ones. There are some people who, who can tell you every principle about giving money and can't tell you nothing about keeping their families together. Huh? We ask them, tell me one of your favorite scriptures about husbands and wives. Uh. Ooh. Tell me your favorite one about raising your kids. Uh. About forgiveness. Uh. But they'll tell you they'll rip you down 15 of them about money. See, that's called being sifted. They're, they've been sifted and don't know it. Because Satan's blown away all the important, valuable things in your life. And you focused on money, you still don't have none. Because you don't have your priorities in God's order. He says, isn't your life more than food and clothing? So what are you talking about money all the time for? He says, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And he's still praying for us. Huh? That's that's his life's work now. Huh? Is to make intercession for the saints. He says, and when you're converted, strengthen your brother. It's that's to stop some of these people that have failure in every area of their lives and want to counsel people. Huh? They're not converted. They don't even believe what they're trying to tell you you gotta do. This is a thought. And why would you go to somebody for advice on how to keep a marriage together and they're not married? Or they've been divorced three or four times. Or they're not trying to reconcile anything. They're just out there hanging out with negative stuff to say about the ex. They don't have nothing good to tell you. Yet That's the bottom of your list. In fact, you need to be praying for them. Huh? But you don't want to go to anybody with a successful marriage because they look like they take crap off thee. A light should go on. Huh? This is a crap taken, take it to the altar kind of existence. <laughs> Shouldn't bother you one bit to keep your hold your peace and keep your mouth shut. You can take these things to the Lord. You don't have to bear that burden. Nobody, you know, you don't, you don't try to, you try to keep your pride together. You try to keep a marriage together at the same time. Get real. No, your faith won't won't fail because he's holding you up. He's interceding for you. Hmm? The people kill me. They're running around trying to find somebody. So and so is a strong intercessor. So is Jesus. He lives on the inside of you. Hmm? He does. Now, I'm not talking about legitimate spiritual authority. Don't don't get because I know most of y'all ain't begging to get me to do nothing for y'all, trying to avoid me. As much as possible. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> Get out of here. Go and sit down somewhere. You ain't ready. 
<laughs> yes, people come in and want to talk to them. They're like they're trapped in a cage. Don't touch me. I'm tender. Crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. Huh? It's true. Unless you're really hard up and you, you know, need something really bad. But you don't want to be counseled along the way so you don't get there. So preachers have to take what they can get, you know. Let them get pinned in. They'll come. But we would like for you to live by faith and not have to get desperate, pinned in. That's the goal, eh? So. There is a victory that overcomes at your faith. Your faith is no fail because Jesus has prayed for you already. But he wants you to be converted. Now what does that word mean? The word convert means to turn over. You're on one side, flip over to the other one and stay there. Huh? Huh? That's what a real convert is. It's somebody who confessed Christ and still saved. Still serving God. That's a convert. Some people confess Christ and come to church a little bit and get mad over nothing and any excuse to stay home. They're not converted. They're not converts. So you pray for those people for it to really catch on with them. You really catch on with them so that they can be converted. Because they're not the persons that you lean on for strength. You have to be careful about this. Now you may like them because they talk your language in certain areas. But when you get in trouble, they're not the ones that you can rely on. Barely can partner with. You got me? A person who has no experience in something. You don't get them. See, this is what happens with people. You like somebody after the flesh. And you want to make them your prayer partner. Uh, instead of staying with the person you're assigned to. Uh, because you're looking for somebody to tell you what you want to hear. You get screwed up that way. Don't mix the spiritual with the carnal. In fact, people you like after the flesh, you need to stop it. And ask God to pick your friends for you. You'll wind up with bad advice. Then you got to come to the pastor and say, well, so-and-so told me that I should pray this way or pray that way because now you know you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So cut it out. Don't be stupid, okay? But if a person is converted, they're on God's side on an issue and they never flip over. Got me? They stay on God's side. And they're solid in what they believe. And their resolve doesn't wane. You'll never come to me and tell me you've been believing God for your marriage for X number of years. And now I can tell you it's okay to get a divorce. Are you crazy? Or go marry somebody and you got a living spouse somewhere. I say let's go get the old boy and, and put him down in the basement for about four days. And see if his story changes. I'll tack up some scriptures on the wall and make him stare at them for four days and see if he don't get straightened out. 
and the married people and got scared. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> he better be scared. Uh, Paris thinking, what? Do I, I better make sure I don't do what. What would I do? And he'd come get me for four days. Ah, uh, you don't know yet. But if you if you ever did, I'd come looking for you. That's for sure. So don't get stupid on me. I will come and do it. I've done it before. <laughs> now somebody really, everybody got quiet. But kidnapping, kidnapping. You asked you ask them Perez's if, if I didn't come to their job and pick them up instead of letting them go kicking it for the night. Uh-huh. Took them right home. scared of nobody's devils are you kidding me i'd rather do that than to see them you know eternally gone you know you need to know god loves you enough to try and retrieve your soul from the pit to let people just walk into the pit <laughs> on a dare <laughs> you know <clears throat> so when when jesus said that he has prayed for us when we're converted we can strengthen people not before. If you know you're you still goofed up in something, don't talk to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. It's true. Preachers do that. You know, if you're going through struggles and stuff, you just don't preach on them subjects until you get straightened out. Huh? Because what will happen is you'll start to confuse people. It'll be both ways on something if you're indecisive on it. So you have to be careful of that. So when you're converted, you can strengthen your brother. Now, people who don't like trouble are not being real. You're not, if you're afraid of trouble, that's a weakness. And the enemy will use that to conjure up images of trouble anytime he wants to. John 16, Jesus tells us this. Sixteen thirty three. he said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, wholeness, soundness, nothing missing, nothing broken, that you might have confidence and courage in me. He says, in the world, now this is the difference. If you're in the world and your thoughts are in the world and your desires are in the world, there's trouble for you there. So he says, stay, walk in the spirit. huh? Walk with me, walk in my mind. And you won't even understand and participate in the trouble that's in the world. You'll just come, it'll like come to you as a news flash and you know you have to deal with it, but you have confidence in dealing with it. That's what he's saying here. So if you stay in me, that's where your confidence, your peace, your shalom is. He says in the world, you're going to have some trouble. Uh He says, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So how do you know if you're in Christ or you're not in Christ when trouble comes? It's your mood. Are you cheerful? Or are you worried, you're complaining, you're whining, you're bleeding on everybody that walks by you? Saints in or whatever, you oozing issues. 
Say amen, somebody. Because sometimes we can't wait to get out of church so we can start bleeding on people again. And sometimes can't wait till church is over and so we bleed on people after church is over. Just heard a sermon on faith and then you got to tell people how bad your life is. It's wrong. Because you never let go of it to begin with to pick up Christ and understand that you can be of good cheer. Hmm? The devil will concoct artificial situations to upset you. Huh? He will. He'll make up artificial situations to upset you. And see if he can keep you disturbed. He hates the peace of God. But because there's so much power in it. If we learn how. Now that's not the same thing as not caring about anything. Peace means you've cast your cares on him. And you're confident that he's got your answer. You know and it's not far from you. It'll be there on time. So so here we, we have this this confidence in God, this peace in God. And so you can tell if you're an overcomer by how rattled you get over, over, over the trouble that comes to you. It says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Huh? I've overcome the world. You know, for a while we haven't, I, I had to go to the, the uh, bank to change our address for our bank statements because they were coming to the church you know physical location and I've been you know not going to the bank because if I don't have to go I don't go you understand what I'm saying and I said well when I'm there I better do this and I go through the drive through and forget it you know and so I have to get out and go in you know I'm looking rough as usual it's just rough period and I don't want to scare nobody to think it's a hold up you know so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would turn out totally wrong if I go in there looking like this. So <laughs> so I realized I put it off for a while. And not having a statement, I wasn't sure what kind of money we had in the... And you know, the devil started trying to bug me about, oh, well, you look at that lease you got. You signed that lease for all those years and blah this and blah that. Yeah, all this kind of stuff. And so one day I told the devil, I said, you know what, devil? I said... We're going to pay our bills. And we're going to pay them on time. And we've always paid them on time. And God is never slow. is never late. If I have to go in there with a gun and shoot everybody in the foot and threaten, if they don't bring that, I'm going to do what i got to do. But we will be there. We will be praising God and we will be cheerful about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You got me? I mean... Things that, that you don't, you know, he'll goof up information. Now he does that with simple things like that. Just my my not doing what I needed to do. And I could easy call the bank. I don't like to bug them, you know. Is this, is, is this Reverend Williams with a special favor? You, you got me. You just don't want to be in people's hair if you don't have to be. But I know God will bless me. People want to do it, you know, just to, to, to be kind to a servant of God, some of them. Some of them will give you hell just. Because you're servant of God, <laughs> and it's like the one half doesn't the other. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. You don't want to be special, you know. So, so I didn't do it. But just that putting off, see, putting off something, bought me 
that mental warfare with the enemy. And so we have to be diligent in everything and understand that the devil used anything he can to disturb your world, put a disturbance on the inside of you. So <clears throat> we have to understand that, that, that when we go forth to do things in God, that the Lord has prayed for us to be converted in it, that we're overcomers if we're peaceful and cheerful. If you find your peace slipping because your mind keeps creating trouble for you, then you get back into the word and reestablish yourself in that. You pray in the Holy Ghost and get your spirit edified so that you can can do that. But mainly let the word minister to your soul and, and bring you into peace. And then God will bring that natural thing into line with it. But he, you've got to have his peace first. You can't be whining and crying and carrying on and acting like you have no father. That's the way orphans act. Cry all the time about things they don't have. You've got a father. You can go to him for what you need. So God's faith is always followed by words and corresponding action. You've got to get yourself in gear and go confront what it is that you're afraid of. Faith is for acting out what God has promised. It's what your faith is made for. Calling those things that be not as though they are. Acting like you have it before you have it. All of that stuff. So this is where knowing he has prayed for us is most helpful. When you get ready to act it out, you say to yourself, Now, Jesus, you've already prayed for me that this would be successful so I'm going to act on it and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do what my faith is telling me to do so you need to remind yourself that your faith is not weak no it's going to be held up because he's interceding for me right now that I would be converted and this would be a way of life for me instead of just me stepping out here scared and nervous about it right now that I would do this on a continual basis see that's what he's praying for your conversion he's not praying for you just to get out of hot water or get what you need he's got bigger fish to fry in your life huh? so if, if the little bit of hot water that is taken for you to pay bills and you know keep your vehicle up and all if that's sweating you wait till you get down the line a little bit you understand me I had to grow from from when when I grew up I can't remember my parents really ever paying off a bill that they created now I'm just honest with you I mean they may have when I was younger but as we grew it just seemed like life overwhelmed them you know and my dad was a drinker an alcoholic on top of it and it was you know having faith for provision and all that kind of stuff you're just nervous all the time and so god had to take me from somebody who was nervous about everything to somebody who could overcome their personal you know obligations and things and get victory and get confidence there into somebody who can now manage things for the kingdom's sake I still got people coming up to me. Well, I want to see how you do that with, with you know, all those meetings you have, and you got all these buses, and they, they always say all this. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, well, I guess that does look like a lot to some people, but I manage it because it's part of what God's given us to manage. Just like anybody's got a fifty million dollar ministry has to manage theirs. It's just adding zeros with your faith. 
Is that's how it's done. But I can understand what they're saying because many of them, you know, the ministers and, and they give you a phone number and you call in three weeks and it's disconnected and all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm talking about. See, don't step out. God didn't let me step out trying to be responsible for his people and, and not be able to believe him to keep a phone on. You got me? You you have to do things in a certain order, in a certain way. But it doesn't happen unless you're converted to God's ways. See, you can't. And I know what the problem is with many of them. They're not really doing things God's way. They're doing it by natural program. See, they'll tell you, if you get on television, it's easy to get a lot of money. So they manage to get enough money together to get on there so they can live a life of ease and not live by faith anymore and so it's all being done by numbers and being done by estimate and pulling certain amounts in and so forth and so on then there are many preachers who amass a bill at a radio station and never gets paid off that's why they're so slow sometimes in getting people on there new people on there because we have a bad habit of walking off owing people and so god doesn't want that kind of witness and that kind of reputation down here in the earth he wants us to be totally overcomers so you have to remind yourself that jesus has prayed for you you've got strength on your side because he's prayed for you hebrews 12 let me see if i want to go there How much time we got, Miss Juana? Oh my goodness! I can I can go to a different book of the Bible now. You need to know that God opens the door of faith for us to believe on Him. That door of faith is opened by God. It's not an automatic. See, this is what takes faith out of the realm of religion. You got me. God opens the door of faith. Acts 14.27 tells us that. God had opened the door of faith to those people that were hearing the gospel for the first time. And they believed on him. And in the Bible, the evidence for believers was always speaking in tongues. It was always that. You couldn't just go somewhere and tell people you believed and they didn't have any evidence. They want to know the Holy Ghost was upon you. Okay, So... What happens when our faith increases? According to Ephesians 12, we get boldness. That whining leaves, the wimpy leaves. And I'm not just talking about boldness around the saints. You know how we get sometimes. We talk a good game when we with God's people because we're borrowing off of their confidence. You know, borrowing off of their faith. And Yeah, I told the devil. And then when he gets you cornered in your house. Oh, Mr. Devil, you want some tea today? What, what, what can I get for you? Uh, you know how we blow up when we're around people. Uh-huh. Ephesians 3, 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You tell the devil what for. You got me? Forget people being your enemy, but forget telling somebody off and getting them straight. It's principalities and powers. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. 
So the faith of God gives you boldness and confidence to do what the word says. To confront things. Somebody don't treat you right. You talk to God about it. You get in your word and God will drop a plan on the inside of you. Well, I'm just going to stand and let the Lord fight my battles. You'll be waiting a while on some things. That's what he gave you a mouth for. Hmm? Boldness is an attribute of righteousness. Did you hear what I said? It it comes as a as a part of righteousness. You know, if righteousness, say, is a, a punch, a drink that's mixed with different things, then righteousness is mixed in there. So if you know that God's with you and you know the word is right and you know you're standing on the word, then you'll have boldness to go confront whatever it is that's not right. It comes with a boldness. Boldness helps us to overcome. It's a confrontational confidence. It's what boldness is. It's not mealy mouth and whiny and wormy. And Listen, the devil's people are bold. They'll challenge you every time you look up. Oh, why you got to go to church all the time? And why you got to do this? And why you got these scriptures placed in everywhere? Why you going? The devil's people are mighty bold when they're trying to turn you around. After you've gotten a hold of something of God. huh? But us, we got to be nice to everybody all the time. You know, if I go to witness to them, they ain't going to like it. If I, They don't like it anyway. You might as well shoot your best shot. You might only get one time to pull the trigger. I'd pull it. But boldness helps us to overcome. And it's the attribute that opens the closed doors. So you'll never get a door open to you to do anything. God's not going to, you know, like it's not a red carpet event with God. It's a down and dirty event with him. You got me. You don't wear your your designer couture gown and, and heels and best jewelry to a fight to open a door with God. You get your cut offs, your raggedy t shirt, huh? Your flip flops. You don't want to mess up your good tennis shoes. You got me. People think if they get any challenge, it's not God. It is God. Now you can exhale. Quit holding your breath so much. So the renewed mind follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. The carnal soul will try to bargain with the spirit man to pull your faith into the natural realm. Well, you don't have to have that. It's it's okay if you, you know. But this is what the Word says. Whatever the Word says and what your heart is fixed on and it doesn't move, that's what you get. Huh? Well, you know, I want my ex-husband saved, but he don't have to come back. Ooh. Ooh. Ouch. Ooh. Didn't he leave from your house? Huh? Huh? Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, if God's going to restore to him everything the devil stole, that means come back to your house to live with you. Better get it in gear, girlfriend. Bet to get it in gear. 
Well, I just got a double bed. Now, you better move over. And the one you thought you was making room for, he ain't coming. Let me see, where was I? Renewed mind. Renewed mind. Renewed mind. You know, you know, most people, they be sitting up there trying to find a Ben Gay at bedtime. I'm going to get me another husband. Oh. Hope he bring plenty liniment. Hope he a chiropractor. Shut up. Shutting up. Let me see. Renewed mind follows the leading of the spirit. Well, yeah, carnal soul to try. You know, God will give you a word to believe God for total restoration, and then you try to cut off what you want restored. Going through all the, the photo albums in the family, cutting his picture out. I'll pay somebody else up in there. You ain't going to do that. <laughs> and when he walk in there, y'all going to pick up on that same argument you was arguing when he left. <laughs> this time he going to say, yes, dear. you going to say, I love you. End of argument. That's where it should have ended when you let him walk out of there. I don't get it. I'm like from a different kind of people. You didn't let no brothers walk out on you. Huh? You got on that, you know, whatever was uh, that, that table by the, in the foyer, you leaped up on that. And when he tried to get out, you leaped on him. A Cherokee style. <laughs> I'd take your scalp before I let you get out of it. Scalp? They get healed real quick at that stupidity. Let me see. Yeah, don't let your soul bargain with with you about the word of God. You get your word of God straight up. No No chaser, no, no, no soda, no lime, no little umbrella. You just take it straight like it comes. If you let your carnal man lead you through fear and intimidation... You will at some point have to do a redo on that. See, you let him steal from you. You let your soul steal from you. So you get a redo. You're going to have to go right back through and follow the word in order to get victory there. And Jesus is going to press you to get your victory. He's not going to let you off the hook. Why? He's given you everything already. All you got to do is obey him. So at some point, you're going to have to go and and undo what you compromised on. You're going to have to boldly speak God's word into that situation in order to correct it. huh? Yeah, I feel sorry for some of these young people. They connect with with, uh, people that that they shouldn't connect with, and it's hard to get rid of people. You know, they're not married. They don't want to quit messing around with them because they let them do everything they want to do to them without being married. You see, and you're supposed to be a Christian. And then if you get stupid enough to get married to him, you just married your sin. And that's even harder to get rid of. See, one day God's going to tap on your shoulder and make you commit 
and you're going to be hooked up with them now you got to believe God for a miracle for them anyway you have to speak that thing whatever God gave you to speak before you have to speak it anyway see God is number one in my life I know I've been stringing you along but God convicted me about that and I got to do business with God now so that's the way we're going you know you'll have hell to pay because when the devil gets in your life they don't let go that easy they don't keep hounding you hammering you telling you you got to do this and yeah you can't do this to me and tears and manipulation Mm -hmm. you better love to like the devil if you're going to go that way because you're going to be stuck with him don't like the devil then go with god be committed to God and cut the shenanigans out. Nonsense. You know, God will stave off the hand of the enemy for a season. You know, you'd be like Samson. You'd be walking around blind trying to find God again. It is sad because it doesn't have to be that way. If you get a little confidence in God, that's all it takes. There's a little confidence. God, this is not what you have for me. I'm saying no to this, and I'm saying yes to you, and that's all you have to do is say yes to God and no to what the devil has. Instead of letting him wear you down, soul's already weak. If you're out looking for something you're not supposed to have, it's already weak. Well, he weakens the weak he makes weaker. Huh? The strong, he has to go back and think about it for a minute. Before <laughs> he, he try to come up with something, but he got to think a little bit before he gets people who are converted. Gets him in a snare. So in Hebrews 12, Jesus is the author and completer of our faith. And that's what you need to do. He has a finish line already seen for you. He has a victory across a finish line. Already envisioned for you. And everything that he prompts you to do in boldness by the Holy Spirit and carrying out his word. You were the one who prayed for that thing. huh? Now you didn't let God lead you to the right thing. Now you're going to have to do a redo and go get it straightened out. But he's still with you. Why? Because he has a victory in mind for you across the finish line. He doesn't have some little wimpy, we'll settle for a draw kind of thing. You know, if you if you quit on it, you quit on it at that level, huh? You but you you need to go get the victory. You got me. You need to go get the victory. So in Hebrews twelve verse one, you know, I did that with the the handicap parking ticket. You know, I got it down to fifty dollars a ticket where it was almost two hundred. I couldn't believe they charged that much for them little stupid things. But I could have sent them a picture of it to show that there's no designation over the spot and if it's snowing the one on the ground's covered up you know it's you could take it to the mat i decided not to even though i knew that was my victory there now i'm praying it doesn't cost me anything because i could see where it was but i decided i didn't want to go through all the trouble and having to go over there i live out of town i got to show up there in person blah this blah that you know you can challenge anything down to the to the mat but i know that victory is there how do i know i've done it before i've done it before i've been exonerated totally innocent through the court system so i know the way through there but i decided i just wanted it over with and that's where it stopped 
But if you don't know that victory, you need to go through it and take it to the mat till it totally stops and leaves you alone. You need to do that. So anyway, Hebrews 12, <coughs> verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we, are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, ideas that bother you, that burden you, things that aren't right in your life. You can't wait to see them straightened out. Got news for you. There's another something coming that ain't right either. You got me? So you'll never be burden free. Jesus already told us that. You know what we need to do? You ever see how the wrestlers kind of when they get in the ring, when they face opposition? The Bible says we wrestle against principality. We need to be like that. Just standing there, engaging them, eager, looking for an advantage. And not being over in the corner wondering when the bell's going to ding. Huh? So we can go to our room, throw in the towel. You have to be like that, ready to pounce and engage the enemy. That's what you do when you have confidence and boldness that you have victory. He says, lay aside every weight. That's what, the, what, he, what he's talking about is the Greek way of wrestling. You know, they wrestled nude. They took everything off. They didn't want anything to encumber them from their victory. And the sin that does so easily beset us. So weight is different than sin. Concerns are different than sins. Concerns will turn into sins if you don't get rid of them. I don't have this. I don't have that. It will be a sin for you pretty soon. And they so easily beset us, he says. There's nobody so high up in God that they don't have to be concerned about that. And he says, and let us run with patience. The race that's set before us. That means a convert who's not going anywhere. You don't have to. Time is on your side because you're not going anywhere. You're settled in God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. He started it. He's going to finish it for you. It's like a runner in a race. He doesn't drop out. He doesn't faint. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't quit. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy was not seeing you given into the devil and seeing you afraid of everything. What was the joy that was set before him? Your victory. Huh? Just like his victory. He sees himself crossing the finish line with you and you standing up on both feet, not rolling over and letting the devil kick you somewhere. And he says that he, he endured the cross. He, he was ashamed on your behalf. Did you know that? He despised the shame that he endured. People just looking at him and, and making fun of him and, you know, examining him as somebody. He thought he was somebody. Look at him now. He put up with that, with that for you so that you could overcome so you wouldn't have to be ashamed of anything. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And if you don't do that, you'll be wearied and faint in your minds. So when you find yourself, no, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. You think about what he went through. That's what he says. You think about what he endured. 
because you'll faint in your own mind. He said, because you have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. Mm-hmm. The only thing you're doing is saying no to your stupid flesh, which you should be saying no to every day anyway. It's the thing that got you to the throne of God. And he says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. This is a discipline, folks. Or faint when you're rebuked of him. When he tells you you can't do something because he doesn't think it's wise for you, don't be just having a fit. Oh, Lord, have mercy. How am I going to get? No. says, for whom he loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son he receives. Mm-hmm. Didn't you get a good whipping when you thought about the sin you used to enjoy? That's your scourging. Huh? Looking at sinners and what you think they can get away with. Huh? He scourges you for that. You get a whipping for that. That's not for you. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father will not chasten? That's a good warning for mothers who think the dads are going to kill the kids if they whoop them. Unless you married a deranged person and that's your fault. I'm scared of people sometimes, you know. But if you are without chastening, whereof we are all partakers, then you are bastards, not sons. That's why your kids grow up disobedient. If you don't let the father discipline his own kid, what's he, a monster now? Huh? Come on, folks. No, you pay heavily for that. You have to let the father discipline his own child. Or he'll treat him like he doesn't belong to him, which is worse. You'll find sometimes the kids, you know, that that didn't get as much attention or didn't get this or didn't get that. The dad just gave up trying to discipline them because there was conflict with the mother. Huh? Kid never got off ground on a good footing. Why? He grew up as a bastard, not a son. And they'll sometimes they'll tell my father he just always act like he didn't like me or he didn't love me, didn't approve of me. And you look and you'll find there's some undermining of the father's disciplinary authority over that kid. He says, furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them respect. Hello? Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Huh? For they truly for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Now that's going to happen. Any parent that has a kid that's disobedient, you're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to throw the wrong thing. You're going to whip them. <laughs> you're going to find yourself, oh, I, I didn't know you didn't do that. Huh? Well, you were doing your best. Huh? You're not a deranged parent. Everybody disciplines somebody wrong sometimes. Trust me. <laughs> but he does it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness so you much rather take a whipping from God be glad well, when the righteous smite me it's a kindness come on now he says no chastening for the present seems joyous but grievous your flesh wants to jump up and down and get excited about something and God tells you no really I can't have that no you can't have that he says, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. 
so that you can be established by that. See, you're getting rid of the short term in exchange for the long term. He says, therefore, lift up your hands that hang down in feeble knees. Quit whining. Quit complaining about how hard your Christian life is. And make straight the paths of your feet. In other words, go straight toward that thing that you keep whining is so hard for you to deal with. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way and let it rather be healed. Let your soul get healed from this whiny thing. Let your soul get healed in righteousness from this loneliness. I'm so lonely. You don't know how hard it is for me. Huh? You know, know you've never been so happy when you don't have to come in and answer for everything. Know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it has its moments. I'm not saying it's good all the time, but it does have its moments. Huh? You don't have to be tied down to anything. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up troubling you, whereby many are defiled. This is why God disciplines us. So that we don't get defiled by the things that spring up in our hearts when we can't have our way. Huh? I don't want to pray for my marriage anymore. So you get bitter. God won't let me find somebody. God won't let me. It's easy to do. You don't know God. That's your problem. He's not like that. Well, too bad he's not. Hmm? He's not a taker. He's a giver. He's trying to put righteousness inside of you. That's not just for certain people. It's for everybody. He wants all of his kids to bear the fruits of righteousness in their lives. Not just, you know, the preacher because you don't have nothing better to do. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like we don't have a life. Huh? I, my stupid days are, are long over. I quit being stupid the day I was born again. Never craved anything of the world anymore. It was a miracle. You know, I mean, just nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, you have your little fears, your doubts and stuff like that, but uh-uh. My husband slapped the looking around out of me when we got married. And he didn't hit me. He just. (laughs) I know so well you didn't. You got me. (laughs) And we quit. Like that. Delivered. (laughs) You can get an unrighteous deliverance and live. You got me? Huh? (laughs) I mean, you get it straight. Huh? (laughs) Huh? He says, follow peace with all men in holiness. You don't, you don't fellowship with people that strive with you all the time. You always got to do something to please them. And, you know, he's scared to displease them because they'll act out or act up or get stupid. You know, you don't, you don't seek out that kind of stuff. You put, it, put another one in. Uh, okay. <clears throat> verse 15, Hebrews uh, 12, verse 15. <clears throat> looking diligently, well, 
and be diligent to follow after the disciplined life that the Lord gives you. you you're not free to do everything, you know, especially not anything carnal. You, you, just, you can't just tie one on because you've had a bad year or a bad season or a bad place in your life. You, you still have to do the discipline. See, I think sometimes when people have difficulty, they use it as an excuse uh, to get in the flesh. So he says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many are defiled. So when, when things don't go your way, when you despise the chastening of the Lord, God, you see what I've been through. I need to have some fun in my life. Huh? Your fun is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Huh? Them's the good old boys. They fun all the time. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Somebody who's just gutter in their thinking and their talking. and Little dirty jokes and little innuendos all the time. As Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Just gave it all away to cater to his flesh. It, it troubled all his life for one meal. It says, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. See, you can spend your time walking with God, but if you're not walking after the Spirit and pursuing righteousness, you don't get it. You'd be a Christian for many years. And, and make up your mind to not do what God's telling you to do. And you don't get your inheritance. Well, I've been waiting for so long for this to happen and that to happen. Yeah, but you've been carnal while you've been doing it. You haven't really been living for God and giving everybody trouble and, you know, saying anything you want to say and doing anything you want to do. You know, you have to walk in the chastening of the Lord. Certain things he tells you you can't do. He says, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Hmm? There was no place for him to get back into that blessing that he gave away because he was catering to his his carnal desires. Now don't be shocked. There are some people like that. You ever see people that, that have a big ministry, a flourishing ministry, and they make one mistake and it never gets back to the level it would they they found no place of repentance for that. Not for what they had to begin with. And the reason that that happens that way is because God had been telling them and telling them and telling them to cut it out. And they wouldn't do it. For one morsel. So the birthright. Huh? It happens now. Now God can, can do a miracle. He can lift the reproach of men off of you. But sometimes it stays. People remember more your failure, your one time of failure. They'll remember that and they'll forget everything good that you did throughout your life before that. He says, for you are not come unto a mount that, that might be touched. In other words, understand when you weigh these things, when you look at what it is that you're not, not obeying God. Look at the weight of it. Look at what you have in this hand. Some kind of momentary nonsense. 
It's not even real. Because what happens is the devil will get you to try to sell out for something and then snatch it away from it. The minute he sees you turn your back on God and go after it, and before you can even nail it down and trap it, he snatches it away from you. That's what you're weighing it against a, a, a fictitious something, a mirage. He says, you haven't come to a mountain that cannot be that might be touched. In other words, God's not calling you to some kind of fake, phony kingdom like Disney World. You know, after your ticket's gone, you look at all the money you spent, and you go home, and all you got is a few your Mickey ears and a few memories. You know, huh? That ain't this. This ain't that. So God's not putting you through the discipline, the chastening, and the you can't have this, and you better forfeit that, and you got to live for me, and you got to do what I tell you to do. He's not doing that for something that can be easily moved. He wouldn't ask you to do that. He's not a taker. He's a giver. And he says, in that burned with fire, nor the blackness and darkness of the tempest. They're talking about Mount Sinai, where God performed natural signs and wonders. You're not come to an old covenant type of a deal. It's totally different. He says, in the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they, they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. In other words, they shied away from that because it was too hard for them. He said, God hasn't called you to that. That's over with. That's done with. What he asks you to do is you can do it because he's with you in it and he's prayed for you. And it's worth it to stay with God because you've come to something much better than that even. Even though when people live for God back under that covenant, they lived as saints. They lived in the miracle working power of God. Man, they had shoes that got big and got small. If your feet swelled, the shoes swelled with your feet. And when your feet shrunk, the shoes shrunk. A rock followed him in the desert, letting them know that you got water from here one time, he'll do it again. They had a little more covenant faith sometimes than we did because they had natural signs that they were there. You don't need them, though. All you need is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. He says, for which they could not endure, verse 20, that that which was commanded and if so much as a beast touched the mountain it would be stoned or thrust through with a dart and so terrible was the sight that Moses said I exceedingly fear and quake and he was God's man after his own heart he stood in the presence of God he was his servant he says you're, you're not you're not giving up quote unquote or having to do without quote unquote or having to live a restricted life quote unquote for anything that's going to be passed away those people endured it and lived under it and knew it was going to be temporary that's not what God's calling you to Christian that's a, he's not calling you to anything that's not going to be here or that's going to fail or that's going to be removed and, and be replaced with something else he's calling you to it forever what God does now, it's yours forever because you're into something quite, quite most unusual. So you need to make up your mind, whatever God requires you to do, it's worth it. Because you're not coming into something that's easily removed and, and, and God has something better coming. This is it. In the words of the late Michael Jackson, this is it. Huh? He says in verse 22, but you come into Mount Zion, the real one. 
This is the heavenly Zion. Unto the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels. Now you got all this. He's giving you all this. And all he asks you to do is quit calling up that stupid girl on the phone. And telling her you were her date. You got me? Quit pretending. Like you got something to offer somebody. Quit the games. Quit wasting your time. You don't have much left. But he has called you to the generally assembly of the church. That's what you're called to. You're not called to stupidity and fornication and going out of this world backwards. You're called to the general assembly of the church and the, of the firstborn. Isn't that higher than what somebody can, some goosebump somebody can give you in a phone call? And you don't even get a goosebump. I mean, God's so tough, he won't even let you goosebump with people. You keep calling them trying to get that feeling back and he won't let you have it. It's called the chastening of the Lord. Which are written in heaven, not hell, heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, remember him? The one you supposedly love more than anything? The mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So see to it that you don't refuse him that speaks. God tells you not to do something, you quit doing it and be glad not to do it no more. Ooh, Father, I thank you. You saved me from that hell. (laughs) Now that I repent, I see what it would have been about. Until you repent, you can't really see what it would have been about. I'm going to say it again. Once you repent, you see what it could have been about. Until you do that, you're still blinded. This is a faith thing. You've got to have faith to confess the right thing in your life. So God can open up your eyes. Because you are yet blind. So see that you don't refuse him that speaks. For if they escaped who refused him that spoke on earth... Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he's promised saying once more we'll shake everything. Shake you to your shoes. Huh? We'll shake everything. You know we feel sorry for ourselves. Because we were brought up this way. And we can't do this. And we I just can't believe God. For, and, oh we go shake that. Don't tell him what you can't believe him to do. Don't tell him what his faith won't do in you. He's going to shake that. He heard that. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. If the word makes you nervous, that's a sign that something in you is not stable and can, needs to be shaken and needs to be shook off. As of things that are made, because it's a temporary, it's something that's made in this world. People get nervous if they think they can't have certain things. That's because something is trying to hold you and it's shaking. It can be shaken. It needs to come off. huh? 
so that the things that cannot be shaken they remain you don't want to be a walking garbage can all kind of junk inside of you and solid stuff and not so so you want you want to be solid so anything that can be shaken needs to come off he says wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved that's why you do this that's why you don't want everything you think you're supposed to have that's why you say no to things you're receiving something you've never had before huh you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved god is trying to do something eternal in you and you're whining because you can't get a phone call from somebody are you crazy he's trying to give you something that cannot be moved and you're measuring that against a temporary feeling that if the devil had his way, he'd stroke you out today and you won't be able to feel nothing no more. And only the mercy of God is standing between you and that. Are you kidding me? And you're going to stand up to God and say you got to have certain things and he's trying to give you something that cannot be removed? Need to read your Bible. He says, let us have grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Because he is a consuming fire. Huh? He is a consuming fire. See in the believer he consumes and we hardly know what's going on. All you did was said yes to God and no to the devil. And no to your stupid flesh. And God began to consume that thing while you slept. It burned up. And you woke up the next morning free as a bird. <laughs> but you got to repent to do that. You can't just, God that just don't do that and you just wake up for you. Know, you got to give him permission. Huh? Amen. There's no comparison between anything of the flesh and that what God has for us. Serve him acceptably. Holy and acceptable. Huh? Romans 12. Present your body a living sacrifice. That's what he's saying here. Nothing's too big for you to offer to God. Nothing's too great for you to let go of so that he can use you and serve you. Nothing's too too big to offer up to him. Are you kidding me? All you're letting him have is your little stinking attitude. And your little pout that you do. And you're a little upset with everybody because you can't have what you want. Amen. You don't know what kind of life I have. I don't want to know. Not my business to know. Hmm? Well, he is a consuming fire. He'll get that away from you. You keep playing with the devil. Well, well you only have so long to play around with the enemy. Huh? Because he doesn't put up with that. He doesn't want the fearful the liar, the fornicator, none of those people are kingdom people. Now you're either in the kingdom or out. It's either worth it or it's not. Or you either want to serve the devil or you don't. But if you want to serve God, you'll let him tell you how to serve him. You'll let him tell you what's good for you, what's not good for you. Parents, if your children have one day told you, Mama, I ain't going to do that, you know what's good for them. You know what you're telling them to do and why you're telling them to do it. It's the same thing with God. He's not going to let you do everything and call yourself a saint. You kidding me? He wants you to live righteously and holy. Why? Because it's worth it. 
Because you've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Pretend fornicator. Huh? You're, you're a church person. You're not a world person. You're a church person now. To a great cloud of witnesses. Those people were cut in half because they wouldn't back down on the word and you treat it like it's not important. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. So those are our witnesses that are cheering us on to serve the living God, not play around with the devil anymore. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're afraid of your neighbor, afraid of your boss, you need to cut it out and get over in righteousness. Start doing the right thing. Be bold when God puts that on you and, and confront these things that are trying to oppress you. And act like Jesus has prayed for you. Act like he's worked with you. Act like a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Yeah, I'm not talking about getting in the flesh. That's one thing people think there's only one way to operate in boldness, and that's in the flesh. I'm talking about a godly uh, righteousness that comes upon a believer, where they know it's time to stand up and declare the word of God, and to let God move, and to let God act, and to quit being afraid of everything. It's time for that. But see, a church that's worldly will never stand up boldly like that. Even our leaders sometimes shrink back from the devil's confrontation. Let the devil back you into a corner asking you about homosexuality. Is that Do you think it's right or wrong? You don't care what I think, but I'm going to tell you what God thinks. And you have all your scriptures written down already because God's already told you what they're going to ask you about. You give them every single one. And say, I, I didn't write this, God wrote it, but I serve God and I love him and I'm going to live by it. And if I'm not popular, then I'm not going to be popular. But I'm going to live by this because this is what God's given me and this is what my job is on this earth is to live for God, period. Oprah, go put that in your little pipe, a little backslidden. Huh? You got to watch backsliders. They'll try to get everybody to go down that road with them. See, and that's what she's used her platform for, to get Christians to back down, to get them to compromise, to get them in the mindset that she's in. Repentance is a good thing. Brings you to the right company. Nothing else we can be in the right company. Amen. Father, we thank you for giving us understanding, giving us instruction and righteousness, giving us holiness. Without which no man will see God. We won't see God without holiness. So Lord we thank you for that. We bless you for it and we praise you. And we understand Lord how wonderful you are. How good you are. And what a blessing you are. And we thank you that it's worth it to serve you. It's worth it for the discipline and the chastening. It's worth it. Because we have the opportunity to choose you above all others. And we thank you for that, Father. Thank you that our eyes have not seen nor our ears have heard the things that you have prepared for us in total. But we have a glimpse of them through the Spirit. And it's worth it. Whatever we have to endure, Father, it is worth it. Because we're raised up in righteousness and true holiness. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If you need prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God.